Love you. Thank you, Justin. And good morning, everyone. Thank you so much uh, for praying for me this past week. And I am doing so much better. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we believe the scripture. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> we believe the scripture is right when it says the effectual fervent prayer of God's people avails much. And so we're thankful. Let's uh, look to the Lord together as we pray the Lord's Prayer, as is our custom, and let's enter into His presence for this message today. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, we pray again for this congregation, whether they are here in the main auditorium or Brain, uh, Brown Chapel or wherever they're watching, uh, whether it's right now live or they watch it later, we pray for the blessing and anointing of the Holy Spirit to settle upon them. Lord, we ask that you would give them your favor. We ask you to cover them with the blood of Jesus. We ask you to fill us with the Holy Spirit and let angels attend our way. We ask for your blessing over them all. We pray may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. May he give you his favor and his rest, and may you see him as the one altogether lovely. We pray for our nation today. We ask that you would give peace to the land, give resolution to conflicts that are raging and uncertainty that seems to be um, just staying before us without, without apparent resolution. Grant us resolution Grant us your presence, grant us the will of God, and may we love you, serve you, and follow you in the days ahead as never before. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. We want to talk about a mystery today. Now, mystery uh, is a little different when it's used in Scripture, the Greek word mystery. Um, <clears throat> It's mysterion. We get mystery from it. To us, a mystery might be anything from Sherlock Holmes to who took the last drink of milk without replacing the or water without replacing the carton or something. Um, but the word mystery in Scripture um, basically meant this: it wasn't an unsolved crime. A mystery meant something whose understanding. Or, or the, the, the understanding of the thing had been withheld for a time, but now was made clear uh, by the will and the revelation of God. That's why usually when we see the word mystery used like that, it's always in the New Testament because it is explaining something in the Old Testament that looking back now we see it, but the prophets who spoke it looked into it deeply, understanding there was a layer they didn't understand. Don't forget this, those mighty prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the scripture says that those men who spoke the word of the Lord, they didn't just speak the word of the Lord and then go and post it online and go get a hamburger. Uh, what they did, the scripture says, is that they would give the word of the Lord and then they poured over it. They sought for understanding because it wasn't all clear to them. Even though they had spoken the words, it was not clear to them what they had spoken. And they longed to be able to look at the prophecies with the fulfillment and understanding that we long for. Now, the Bible says that the, 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 the home is a mystery that connects us with an understanding of the church. And there are other mysteries that uh, we could talk about today. We could do a whole series of mysteries. Some mysteries we go through life and it takes us a while before we understand it. It's like the little boy that asked Santa Claus for, uh, Justin, could I, 
get some water. <laughs> like the little boy that asked Santa Claus for a fingerprint set. Thank you. And um, somebody asked him, well, how do you like your fingerprint set that Santa brought you? And he said, well, it's a disappointment. And they said, why? And he said, well, I've tried it and it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? He said, I tested Santa's fingerprints. I tested my daddy's fingerprints. And I tested the thief that broke into my piggy bank. And they're all the same. <laughs> well, you and I laugh because the mystery is no mystery to us. But uh, it might be a mystery for a while. Previously hidden or veiled, but now manifested. A mystery is not the same as a parable. A parable, parabole, it's, it's, it means something that's cast alongside. Whenever we have a parable, the scripture isn't saying with the parable, this is what this means. A parable says, this is what this is like. A parable was given so that the truth could be understood, but a parable wasn't the same as the truth it was illustrating. So when you saw a parable, it would say, this is like this. But when you have a mystery, it wasn't saying this is like this. He was saying, this is this. This is this. So I want us to look at the mystery of the foot washing today. And you say, well, pastor, we don't usually spend a lot of time on foot washing. Well, let me give you a little bit of background. I grew up in a church that practiced foot washing. Uh, how many of you, I, I can't see many of you, how many of you grew up in a church that practiced foot washing? Now, how many of you are not ashamed that you grew up in a church? Okay, all right, I just wanted to be sure. No, a, a handful, that's the way it usually is. Uh, first of all, let me say this, I am so thankful that I did grow up in a church that practiced foot washing. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't believe that foot washing is an ordinance of the church like um, the communion is. Um, I, I think the wording that Jesus used, I mean, he said you ought to wash one another's feet. I don't believe that Jesus was saying that from now till I return, just as you receive communion, you ought to wash one another's feet. But I do not take issue and I do not laugh at or criticize churches who do that. So please understand, I'm not, I'm not opposed to foot washing. Uh, we, we would have foot washing uh, right on the heels of communion. Uh, the Sunday that we would have communion, which was usually quarterly, the next Wednesday, the first Wednesday following that Sunday, we would have foot washing. Now you could tell it was foot washing Wednesday if you forgot because it was the lowest attended Wednesday night <laughs> service because it was, it was uncomfortable. Not that people didn't like, it was just uncomfortable. Um, in our Western culture, we don't practice foot washing. It's, it's not part of our culture like it was in the Middle East. So it, it, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing for us. Um, but it wasn't a, wouldn't have been uncomfortable in the days of Jesus or the culture of Israel. Now, I, I do want to say this. Um, I, I do think that we need to give this admonition. Um, you may say, well, I have no problem with foot washing and, and I would be glad to wash the feet of the saints. But I, it's probably because of our culture, not a good idea. You're probably not going to bless people to say, hey, before you leave, I want to wash your feet. It's, it's generally not good. But now I have been in situations where it was of God. Um, I, and I know that. But generally, we don't, we don't pull that kind of surprise by saying, listen, take your shoes and socks off. I'm going to wash your feet. You may mean it with the most utmost sincerity, but it might not be welcomed by the other person. It's almost like saying, well, you know, let me give you a shot in the hip before you leave. And um, because we, we view it as an invasion of privacy. But what I want to do today, I, I'm, I'm not trying to move to a mindset where we say you never know who's going to ask you to take your shoes off and let them wash your feet. I don't think that's wise. But we need to, to, because it's not part of our culture, we have ignored this story and we have ignored the significance of it. And we need to go back and understand what was taking place so that we understand the mystery. 
Now, how you wash feet may vary from place to place. On Monday, Thursday, you know, just before Easter, uh, the Pope will wash the feet of several, usually poor people, perhaps even homeless people, as um, a show of the humility that Christ showed in washing the feet of the disciples. And we don't have any trouble with that. In my church, it was foot washing night. The pastor would end his, his message a little bit early, about a half hour early. And you say, well, that's why we're not a foot washing church. You don't know how to end a half hour early. Um, <laughs> no, that's not the problem. The problem is you just don't know when I'm through. That's the problem. And uh, no, I'm teasing. But the men would go into one room, the ladies into another, those that wanted to participate. And, and they would pray for one another and wash one another's feet. And it was, a, it was a very humbling, but also a very gratifying time. Okay. So I, I want us to understand this is not about whether we are a foot washing church or not. What this is about is what was Jesus trying to communicate and... Um, that's where I want us to focus for a little bit. Let's read the story from John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, let me interrupt me for just a second here. Uh, some translations and many translations at least leave this marginal note. Some feel this ought to be translated, not he loved them till the end, but that he showed them the uttermost value of his love. I, I, it is true that Jesus showed his love right up till the end, but I don't think what this passage, that's what this passage is saying. I think it's not saying that he loved them to the end, but he loved them, as some translations say, to the uttermost. In other words, Jesus did something to show them as another translation says, the full extent of his love. Now he's about to die on the cross. All of this, his love is, is phenomenal. During the last week of his life, Jesus took care of ministry business and opposed the Pharisees, but he spent his time at night with those that he loved in particular. He spent a special communion service with his disciples. Um, Jesus circled the wagons during the last seven days of his life. And not only did he do phenomenal ministry in the temple area, but every chance that he could, he gathered those that he loved close by. He said, I want to show you what's going to hold you together. The record of his prayer for us is phenomenal. The, the, um, the record of communion is phenomenal. That's why communion is so special to every true child of God. And, and he's, but it's interesting when John said he wanted to show the full extent of his love, he gathered them to wash their feet. Now we're going to learn a couple of things in just a moment. Now let's get back and continue to read. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now a servant's towel would have been bigger than a beach towel probably. It would have been something that the servant could wrap around his unclothed body to cover himself, and then there would be a large part of the towel that would be available to wash, and, and I say to wash, to dry the feet of those that he was serving. And so Jesus tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter wasn't the first. He had been washing the disciples' feet. But he comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He might have seen him wash the feet of Thomas and said, what kind of arrogance does Thomas have? Asking the master to wash his feet. Thomas might have been just broken in, in tears. I mean, we don't know that, but not understanding what was happening, but he was moved by it and he allowed Jesus to do what he wanted to do. But Peter got uh, indignant and he says, you're going to wash my feet. 
Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Well, this is, this is how I know Peter was the assembly of God. He goes from one end to the other. He says, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if you don't let me wash my feet, you can't have fellowship with me. Then he said, just give me a bath. Just give me a bath. Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. He said, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Jesus knew that Judas was there for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. But when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? See, that's what every one of us who receive anything from the Lord need to stop and ask. What has he done? What does this mean? I don't think we'd have the prophetic confusion that we have today if prophets would not only say, I've heard the Lord, but pause long enough to say, what does this mean? And how do we interpret this? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. See, whenever God does the most magnificent things in our life, we always understand something. And if I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, Peter's concern wasn't over having his feet washed. That would be usually our concern. You know, I don't want my feet washed. You know, I, I pay a lot of money for these shoes so nobody sees my feet. I don't want my feet washed. I'll do that at home. Uh, his concern was over who was washing the feet. Now, here's, let's talk about the mystery for a moment. At the end of the paragraph, what we do is we read this story and we run to the end where Jesus said, you ought to wash one another's feet. He says, this is about serving one another. Yet during the interaction with Peter, it is abundantly clear that the action has to do with our relationship to Jesus, not to each other. It has something to do with our ability to grow and mature as Christians. And when Jesus is talking to Peter, there seems to be no connection to the other disciples. In fact, this could have been Jesus and Peter in the room alone and Jesus' words would have had significance. At this point, now Jesus is going to say, hey, what I've just done, you ought to do for one another. But when he's dealing with the heart of Peter, it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's about me and you, Simon. It's about me and you. Furthermore, in that initial exchange, uh, as I said, G Peter's offense had to do with Jesus washing his feet, not somebody else washing his feet. At the end of the dialogue, however, we hear Jesus sum it up by saying, do you understand? You ought to wash one another's feet. Now, what that tells me, and this is, I think, very important, is that there is both a greater and a lesser lesson that Jesus is teaching through the washing of feet. If you don't like greater and lesser, at least two separate lessons are being taught. Now the mystery deepens as we discover that the two lessons seem to be disconnected. Peter, you need to let me do this for you or you have nothing to do with me. And you ought to serve one another to show your love. That's night and day, that's two totally different things until you keep digging and you, fight, you keep digging till you get to the, the common denominator. And the common denominator was interconnectedness. The only thing the two lessons had in common is that Jesus said, the Christian life means you are connected with me and the Christian life means you are connected to one another. But you have to go down a couple of layers 
at least, maybe deeper before you begin to see that. He's telling us that the master is the source of service, grace, and love. And in return, we ought to offer the same service and grace and love to one another. And in both scenarios, God's will is hindered if we do not understand this. But at the end of the day, I don't think Jesus is saying you have to do this thing. He's saying you need to do these kinds of things and when it comes to each other. You say, well, pastor, I'm just not comfortable with that interpretation. I believe we ought to wash one another's feet. I have no issue with you on that. I'm not, I'm not even saying you're wrong. I could be wrong on this. But as a church, we don't practice foot washing as part of our service, but we have no problem with small groups or your family or whatever, um, it, as long as it's done appropriately. And I don't think men need to be washing women's feet. I don't think women need to be washing men's feet. And you say, oh, you're a dinosaur. I know, I know I'm a dinosaur. But I think it is wise, I think it is smart and I think we need to realize that so many times a, a lot of sin is, it, the door is open to a lot of sin by us claiming to be set free. And we're not set free, we're in bondage. Oftentimes to some very base elements. But that's not the meaning of this message. We want to keep going. Um, I believe foot washing means fellowship. I believe that's the core word is fellowship. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, if you don't allow this to happen on the spiritual realm, you will fall out of fellowship with me. And he said, if you don't serve each other like this, you'll fall out of fellowship with each other. Now, let's, that's what I think the mystery is about. Interconnectedness, fellowship with Jesus, fellowship with each other. Now, I, let's go to number two, understanding Jesus and myself. I know I'm about to strike down some sacred cows here, um, and I'm not trying to be arrogant in doing that. Uh, I, I want to tell you, one of the things that I think this, this story tells us is we need to be very careful about what we call humility. Some humility sounds very spiritual, but is carnal at its core and potentially damning in its results. I've seen people, and I've even done it myself, and thank God that he corrected me. Um, we may unintentionally elevate our works above the works of Jesus by saying something like, I'm not worthy. You know, somebody pays us a compliment and we say things like, well, it was just the Lord. Or, and, and I need to tell you, nobody else will tell you, when you say, oh, it was the Lord, it wasn't that good. You know, it, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... I don't think anybody's saying, you know, can I tell you this? When somebody says, you did so good on that song, please stop rejecting their gift and please stop uh, uh, not allowing them to build up and edify by saying something like, oh, it was all the Lord. Because somebody will tell you one day, it wasn't that good, but you blessed me. And we need, I don't know if we understand this, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. So bear with me. I, I, I lay, I lay no claim to anointing over this. This may be totally the flesh, but, um, I, I used to go to, um, a, a teacher, worldwide teacher. And one of his claims to fame was he would talk about, we, we defer the glory. And he said it was, a, it was a, a, a dishonoring thing to God for, for us to accept anybody's praise or appreciation. So if you went to his seminar, what you were taught was if somebody says that sermon blessed me, oh, it was just the Lord, or I'm thankful the Holy Spirit could use it. And, and what you're doing is that somebody who is trying to express something to you that is heartfelt, you just tell them that doesn't mean anything to me. I reject your compliment and I give it to the Lord. And, and loved ones, please understand, you don't have to eviscerate someone to give glory to God. You say, well, what should I do when they say my song was a blessing? Say, thank you. Say, I'm glad it was a blessing. Because, you know, a lot of times, I'm not saying this is not true of everybody. I know that. I don't even think it was true of this brother that taught that. But um, we, we, when we say things like, well, I'm not worthy, none of us are worthy. Nobody's going to argue with you about that. 
Humility honors and glorifies God by accepting his gifts to us on the basis of his worth, not ours. God's not afraid to give compliments. Have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him in all the earth. And we want to, we want to add a verse where Job says, oh, shucks, Lord. Oh, I'm just doing my duty. And what would he have done if God said, just doing your duty? I, I'm sorry, Job. I thought it was because you loved me. I thought it was because you had this passion in your heart for me. Forgive me for misunderstanding your heart. Guys, let's, let's understand this. When somebody says you did good with thus and so, thank you for what you've done. Say you're welcome and understand that they are just giving you a gift that you're going to need desperately before the day's over. Probably. Okay. Now that I've thoroughly offended, uh, at least a handful of people, um, sometimes I will tell you this. Sometimes when we say, Oh, I'm not worthy or, Oh, it was, it was, you know, it was nothing. Sometimes what we're really doing is we're pressing somebody to affirm us and say, Oh yes, it was, it was that good. Da, 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 da. And, and what we're doing is in the name of humility, we're asking somebody to please keep lifting me up. Please keep lifting me up. You say, pastor, don't you think it could create pride if somebody says, oh, you did good? Well, it could, it could. But most of us have been kicked in the head enough along the way when somebody gives us a compliment, it doesn't lift us up into pride. It just begins to heal some wounds. Well, I don't know how they're doing in Brown Chapel, but over here they're doing good. Okay. <laughs> Let me remind you of this before we move on. Carnality is manifested in two ways. We say don't be carnal and we think of sexuality. We think of lasciviousness is the old King James word. We think of fleshly living that's driven by lust. And that is one definition of carnality. But carnality is not just sensual behavior. Sometimes it's self-sufficient behavior. Sometimes just saying, I don't need your compliment. I don't need your affirmation. Not only does it go contrary to scripture, but it actually manifests the carnality that we're walking in. Well, I better move on. Let me say a second thing about humility. Sometimes, maybe that's not our problem. Maybe we're not trying to live self-sufficiently. But sometimes humility is little more than good manners. I remember one time, and oh, I, I still work on it and don't feel like I do a good, near as good a job as I, as I need to. I try in my journal every day to list three things that I'm truly grateful for. Uh, during the day, so three things that happened during the day I'm truly grateful for. And I'm going to be honest with you, some days it, I just have to say, thankful for my kids, thankful for my grandkids, thankful for my wife. Some days, you know, and, and, I, and I have to, I have to I, I've now got a rule where I said, I can only be thankful for them twice a week. <laughs> I, I've got to look for something else, you know, or unless it's something particular that they did. And I tell you what God spoke to my heart one time that just, it really changed my life. I had gone through something I wasn't, I didn't like. I, I, I had tried to help the Lord understand there were several good ways to answer this prayer and he didn't choose any of my ways. And so I said, Lord, I want to thank you for what you did, da, 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 da. Uh, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly that morning. And he said, you're not really grateful you're just courteous. And, and it was that the Lord doesn't talk like that. I mean, you're not really grateful. You're just courteous. And I was kind of like, ah. and then he continued and said, your parents taught you to have good manners and you're just showing good manners, but everything in you wishes I had done. And then he listed a couple of other things. You're not grateful. And I tell you what I did, I, I, I canceled an appointment that was coming up and I shut myself in with the Lord and I prayed until I became grateful for the way that the Lord resolved that thing. So sometimes humility is a little more than good manners. And number three, some humility is a subtle form of pride that elevates our works to the place of grace and faith. Now, uh, sometimes in other words, we want to be humble in order to look substantive. Now, that's understanding me and the Lord. Um, 
when, when, we, you, when you have a foot washing relationship with the Lord, you may sound very humble. You'll never wash my feet, but be careful that it's not exposing, or maybe you should be careful that it does expose anything in you that's a false humility. Now let's talk thirdly before we try to land this plane here. Um, about understanding my neighbor and myself. Now, I said the foot washing has two applications. Both of them have to do with fellowship and the idea of being interconnected, one with the Lord and one with my neighbor. Now, in case I haven't been clear enough, what Jesus was teaching Peter was this. He said, Peter, if you're going to stay connected with me, if you're going to, to walk in fellowship with me, now, I don't, I don't mean if you don't do this, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus said, if you really want to walk in the light as I, as, as I am in the light, you've got to understand this Christian life is not about you getting saved every, every youth revival. Uh, or getting saved at youth camp every year or getting saved when the evangelist comes in. Um, oh, I'm so thankful that I used to answer the altar call every Sunday night and my pastor in his wisdom came to me and he knew what was going on. You know, how, how, why, is, why is Stevie getting saved every Sunday night? Um, I wasn't getting saved every Sunday night, but sure as shooting, I blew it sometime during the week and I wanted to repent. And so for the first few months of my Christian life, anybody that wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have eternal life, come forward to the altar. And man, I knew I had blown it during the week. I'd said something I shouldn't say or thought something I shouldn't think or looked at something I shouldn't have looked at something or, or lied or I did something during the week. So I said, I'm coming down. I want to get saved again. And my pastor explained to me, he says, when you become a Christian, you pass from death into life. You become his child. Now, God, before you became a Christian, God dealt with you as a sinner but now that you've come to him, he doesn't deal with you as a sinner. He deals with you as a son. He deals with you as a son. And loved ones, all of us need to understand that. Before we knew Jesus, he dealt with us as a sinner. In the future, those of us that have come to Jesus, he'll deal with us as a servant. He'll give us the reward for our service to him. But he doesn't treat us as servants either. He treats us right now as sons or sons and daughters. In other words, as his child. And he says, we all, we all stumble, but you don't have to get saved all over again. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in this parable. He said, Peter, you, you're, he says, you go from one extreme to the other. You won't let me wash your feet and you want me to give you a bath all over again. He says, when a person has been washed, they don't need to take another bath because they walked across town. But walking across town, uh, especially with the kind of shoes they wore, which were as often as not, not always, but as often as not, were open foot sandals. He says, when you come to someone's house, you don't need to take another bath. You just need your feet washed. Loved ones, that is the Christian life. He says, you need to come to me for a foot washing, but you don't need another bath and if you don't come with me to the foot washing, it's going to hinder your fellowship. You see, loved ones, we tend to think, well, I gave my heart to Jesus 35 years ago and I'm secure in his love. I believe that you are, but I want to tell you, your feet can get stinky from time to time. All of us can. So Jesus says on the spiritual dynamic, come to me regularly. And, and there's no formula. It, it, he doesn't say do it every day or at, at a confessional booth or on Sunday morning at the altar. He doesn't tell us how to do it, but he says it's important when I kneel to wash your feet, shut up and let me wash your feet. You see, because he may say you need your feet washed just as you're drifting off to sleep one night. And he said, you haven't been very nice to your wife today. And you, you, you would never dare say, well, I'll deal with it Sunday. You know, uh, no, he's there with the towel on. It's time for your feet to be washed. And if we don't do that, he says, you have no part of me. I do not believe that if we don't keep our accounts current with God, we go to hell. But I do think everything he wants to do for us is hindered. 
we don't have fellowship the way we ought to. If you don't treat your spouse right, you're still legally married, but you're not going to get along well. You're not going to be as nearly as well treated that way as you would be if you were quick to repent. So you see, loved ones, in our church, we don't teach that if you make a mistake, you've lost your salvation. We teach that if we make a mistake, we need our feet to be washed. And only Jesus can do that. Now, okay, that's me and Jesus. Now, let's talk about me and my neighbor, my neighbor and myself. Jesus says this is the same way you ought to live with your neighbor. He says in one passage in Matthew, he says, if you are in the middle of worship, you guys still with me? Okay, Brown Chapel, you still with me? I heard it. All right, good. He says, if you're in the middle of worship and you realize that you have done wrong against your neighbor, what does he say do? He says, leave your gift at the altar. In our culture, it would mean, uh, I, I don't think he means you have to leave church, but what do you do? You make a note on your phone. Somehow you deal with it and you say, I will call so-and-so and I will make this right. Now, I, I realize sometimes you don't have access to someone right away, but you resolve in your heart, I'm going to deal with this and make it right. And he says, then return with worship. You see, that's spiritual foot washing in regard to our neighbor. My spiritual life flows from my connection to Jesus in the spiritual realm. And my spiritual life is manifested by my connection to my fellow man. You see, loved ones, we teach it regularly here. And I want to say it, we, we say it every few weeks. When you come to Jesus, you are delivered immediately from the penalty of sin. You pass from death into life. You don't have to wait and see what your batting average was to know if you're going to heaven or not, because you're not going to heaven on the basis of your righteousness. You're going to heaven on the basis of his righteousness. So when we come to Jesus by faith, because of his robe of righteousness that we begin to wear, we are delivered once and for all from the penalty for sin. Now the day is coming when we stand before him, either because of death or the return of Christ, that we will be delivered from the presence and even the possibility of sin. Somebody came to me one time after an SESL chapel and they were crying. They said, Pastor, I've just, I, I just can't get this settled in my heart. I said, what? What if we all get to heaven and then we just mess up all over again and we have to start all over again? And I said, that'll never happen. And I opened the, the, to a verse of scripture where it says what will happen when the Lord returns and when we are raised from the dead. And there's a phrase that is so powerful. It says this, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be, oh, I, I know I'm going to do okay, but what if Justin blows it? What if, what if Justin messes it up for all of us? It won't happen because so shall we ever be with the Lord. So I'm saved from the penalty of sin. I'll be saved from the possibility of sin. But right now, right now, I am being delivered from the power of sin. It is still possible for me to sin. And I may have to pay the penalty for some sins I committed, but not in an eternal sense. The Christian life called sanctification is God teaching me every day, sin shall not have dominion over you. You don't have to live enslaved to sin. You've had a bath. But you need foot washing. You need Jesus to deal with your life and keep the flow open. That's the connection. Now, let me wrap it up with five brief, succinct, but vital ideas that'll help us put this, this mystery into the realm of understanding, okay? Here's number one. I think it's letter A on your outline under Christian Life Lessons. Is that right, Justin? Okay, letter A. Foot washing is an act of spirituality that explains our relationship with Jesus. Again, 
we, we don't have to worry about going to hell because we've sinned and fallen short because something in, amazing happens to a child of God. John wrote this. He says, if we live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There is value in repentance. There is value in foot washing. But something else that is beyond our wildest dreams happens to us. It's such good news that most Christians don't even preach this because it sounds too good to be true. But this is what John says. As I walk in the light, as I'm, as I'm doing my best to serve him, something is happen, happening perpetually, nonstop. It's a present active participle. It's the word katharidze, and you, you recognize catharsis from it or cleansing from it. What God says happens to us as we walk with God, no sooner do we get soil on our feet than the blood washes it away. Now, now, now there's two dynamics. We're going to find out about those two dynamics in just a minute. But I, I told you, and I don't want to tell you an old, old story again, but what I need to do is tell you an old, old story and I'm telling it for the sake of our new, new family and those that have, are, are listening, maybe they, they haven't been here for years like most of you have. But um, one of my children, when, when she was a little girl, uh, loved to play in the little pool. You say, oh, pastor, you had a pool? Yeah, well, it was 1999 at Walmart. And uh, it was one we put in the backyard and, you know, blew it up and filled it with a foot and a half of water. And my kids loved it. But one of my kids, uh, the others didn't seem to bother them, but one of them was just so sensitive to the idea of dirt between her toes that when she would get out to go to the bathroom or get a cup of Kool-Aid or something, she would go bananas because she would take a few steps and realize she had dirt between her toes and just, and just had a meltdown. So she would get back in the pool and it would wash the dirt off. The other kids in the pool didn't like it because now they got the dirt in the pool. But then she'd get out and walk and then it'd happen again. I'd come over and wash her feet with the hose. Thank you, daddy. I love you. I love you too. And she'd start walking and three steps later, daddy, daddy, because she had the soil again. So we figured it out. Nothing I won't do for my little girls and my little boys and my grandkids are worse than the kids were, you know. And... Um, I figured it out. I said, let's do it this way. Where are you going? I'm going to the bathroom. So, or I'm going to get Kool-Aid. So wherever she was going, I pulled enough water hose around and every step she took, I was washing her feet. And she grinned and was just as happy as, a, as, as she could possibly be. Why? Because every step she took, she was being washed. Loved ones, let me tell you, there, is, there will always be a place for foot washing. There will always be a place that you need to deal with something. But at the same time, I, I used to be scared to death, wondering what if Jesus came right after I got mad and cussed? You know, what if Jesus came right after I had looked too long at a, you know, another high school girl when I was, you know, a teenage Christian trying to navigate those currents? What if he came at the wrong minute? Well, and before I had time to confess, well, loved ones, if my heart is pure, now this is not an excuse for sin because there's other scriptures, this thing breaks down. But if I'm doing my best to walk with the Lord, every step I take, I'm being washed by the blood of Jesus. Katharidze. It's a present active verb. Every step I take, that's why my steps are blessed. Not because God's lucky to have me, but all my steps are blessed because the blood of Jesus is washing me every step I take. Okay. Now, but we still need the foot washing because that has to do with relationship. See, if I, if I do something stupid, say something stupid to my wife, she doesn't divorce me. And she may debate it for a few minutes, but she doesn't divorce me. <coughs> she doesn't stop loving me, but our fellowship is hindered. She may go ahead and forgive me because she knows my track record. I know, I know as soon as he realizes what he did, he's going to apologize. She may go ahead and forgive me, but the relationship is far better when I say, Ramona, I realized today I acted like an idiot. And I want you to forgive me. And, and, and she's already forgiven me. She's not taken any serious thought about ending the relationship. But what's happened? Fellowship is now restored. Fellowship is now re restored. 
And that's the way it is with the Lord. We're his, but fellowship needs to be restored. Okay. Here's number two. Foot washing is an act of loving service that sets an example of how we ought to treat one another. Um, again, if you disagree with me, it's, it's fine. It, I mean, it really is. I know there, I have pastoral friends that uh, have foot washing at their church all the time. It doesn't bother me at all. But I think that what Jesus is saying <laughs> is just as I am hooked up with you, connected with you to offer grace and forgiveness and mercy, you ought to do that with one another. Uh, it's not a matter of washing feet, I, I don't think. I think it's a matter of forgiveness. That's why Jesus said, if, you, if your brother sins against you, Peter thought it was doing great if I forgive him seven times. Jesus said 70 times seven. And you say, okay, well then, okay, I got to do it 490 times. That was, that was a way of Jesus saying, just don't even keep count. He said, you can't keep up with 490 offenses a day. Don't try to keep up with them. Just keep forgiving. Be willing to take the role of a servant. Number three, we need to understand the dual aspect of foot washing fellowship. Now you say, pastor, you're confusing. You're saying that sometimes we need to have our feet washed and you're saying at the same time, we're just being washed. Well, that's the thing about foot washing. It is episodic and intentional. Jesus was saying, there's a time you need to sit down and let me wash your feet. And he determines the time. He determines the time. That's why the most valuable thing you can do is be open to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're watching at home right now and the Holy Spirit shines the searchlight on something on your heart or you're sitting in this auditorium, I hope if I've preached anything over the 26 years that I've been here is this. Whenever the Spirit of God moves upon you to come to Him, come. It's episodic and intentional. There's a time, that's why some, some Christians uh, go to the priest for confessional. It's, it's an episode. It is intentional. And there's nothing wrong with, with dealing with, with our dirty feet that way. I mean, I'm talking about in, intentionally and episodically. But it's also continual and unconscious. We need to realize that Everything we do ought to produce life and the good that we do shouldn't be just something we stop and figure out and say, I'll do this. You know, I'll pay for the lunch ticket. I'll, I'll, I'll fill the car that I borrowed up with, with the tank of gas. I will be life giving. I will be, I will be affirming. I will be encouraging every moment that I can. And I don't have to stop and think about it. It'll just be something that flows out of me. Here's number four. And this is where we need to be careful, loved ones. Misplaced zeal can cheat us out of fellowship with Jesus. You see, I know that there are commands. I know there are rules. I know that there are things that are right. I know that there are things that are wrong. Grace does not teach that there's no punishment for sin. Grace does not teach that there's no right way to live. Grace does not teach there's no consequence to wrong. Grace says there's another way to deal with it. Every sin I commit must be dealt with, but grace says it can be dealt with at the cross. Uh, every shortcoming that we manifest needs to be dealt with, but grace says I don't have to get my pound worth of flesh when you make a mistake. Okay, so misplaced zeal can cheat us out of fellowship with Jesus. It's interesting. If we lived in the days of Jesus, according to our doctrine, you know who we would have been? The Pharisees. The Pharisees loved the word. The Pharisees believed in prophecy. The Pharisees believed in dreams and visions. The Pharisees believed in life after death. They believed in angels and demons. I mean, every one of us could have checked off the box of the Pharisees. But the problem is that their zeal caused the majority of them to totally miss Messiah. Totally miss Messiah. Misguided zeal can cheat us out of fellowship with Jesus. And here's the last thing I want to leave you. As in marriage, the Christian life is best lived not from a place of legality, but from a place of intimacy. You say, well, how do I shift from, you know, I need to just quit being legal and be intimate. That's tough. 
Because legalism, even though it's defined as a set of rules, legalism isn't just a set of rules. Legalism's a mindset. And intimacy is not a set of other rules. Intimacy is a mindset. You see, at the heart of what we do, you guys just bear with me just a minute and let me, let me finish here. At the heart of what we do is the intent of our heart. Um, I, I know when I used to go to family reunion, there was, there was an uncle that every kid there used to gravitate to. You've heard me talk about my uncle Cletus. Every kid there gravitated to him. We loved him. He, he had stories. He would show us, you know, about his cows and we all loved, and he was the happiest. And, and, and his sister, Murdy, Murdy, my Aunt Murdy was fantastic. She was the same way. She would laugh. I mean, she, if there was a, a Mrs. Santa Claus that you would put a face to, it would be my Aunt Murdy. And we would just, all the kids would just gravitate to them. And there were other, there, there was another uncle, I won't call his name, but he just longed for us to gravitate to him. But nobody wanted to. And I asked my daddy about it. I said, why, why, do, why does everybody love to go to Uncle Cletus and, and Aunt Murdy and nobody likes to go over here? He said, well, Cletus and Murdy just are so full of laughter. And I said, Uncle so-and-so laughs. And my dad said, yeah. And he was trying to find a way. And this is what my mom said, because she grew up in that family. She said, Uncle Cletus and Aunt Murdy, they laugh with you. Uncle so-and-so laughs at you. And I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. But I realized every time Uncle so-and-so laughed, yeah. And, and don't, don't worry that somebody's listening to this. He's been in heaven a long time. But I, I realized that he did the same things but he wasn't laughing with me. He was laughing at me. And nobody likes to be laughed at, but everybody likes to be laughed with. I guess the best way I can put it is, is this. Fellowship means you produce life. You walk in fellowship with the Lord, it produces life. You walk in fellowship with each other, it produces life. A preacher friend of mine talked about um, a family in his church when he lived in Georgia. He said it was a good family. He said he knew they had a child that was uh, severely disabled uh, mentally and physically. The husband and wife could never come to church at the same time because one was always needed to take care of the child. And um, to make a long story short, he had, he had seen the child and he had been in their home. It was, they were dear friends. But he said, I was, the pastor said, I was invited to supper one day and she asked me to come at a specific time. She said, please don't be late. I need you to be here at this time. He said, I didn't know why. He said, I got there and I spoke to the child and the child could not respond. You didn't know what the child could, was, was understanding or not understanding. It was just a hopeless situation, bedridden. And um, the other children were so gracious to take care of their sibling, you know. And, and she said, I wanted you to come at this time because I wanted you to see something you've never seen. And he, she had brought him into the bedroom there and he thought, I've, I've visited with this little fellow and prayed for him dozens of times. She said, but I want you to see his daddy coming home. And he said, okay. She said, just, just watch. She said, it'll be about two minutes. I mean, it was clockwork. From down the road, a horn starts blaring incessantly. And, and he said, I thought that, you know, the neighbors would call for disturbing the peace. But the horns would blow, the horn was blowing and the little boy began to tremble and shake and he began to become what he said I thought was agitated. He said, until I began to understand that the little boy was familiar with the horn. He said, the car got in the driveway, sat on the horn two or three more times and the, the dad got out, started banging on the garage door. 
making a horrible noise. He picked up the metal garbage cans, threw them and kicked them all in the garage, making the worst racket. And I don't remember the child's name. We'll call him Billy. He comes in the garage door and says, where's Billy? Where's my Billy? And the child is just shaking out of control. And the mom is having to hold the child in the bed because he's trembling and he's shaking so much. And the doorbell was ringing and, and where's my Billy is being yelled. Books are being knocked off the shelf. And then daddy comes in the door and he says, there's my Billy. <coughs> and Billy throws his arms up like this. Daddy comes over to him and hugs him and kisses him. And Bailey just does this. That's all he can do. He, 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 the, the, the words he's trying to speak are unspeakable. And with lips that can't be pursed, he kisses his dad's face and rubs his face and rubs his arm. And he said, this went on for a few minutes. Then the boy began to calm down. And then the nurse came in to take care of him while the family went down to eat dinner. And the pastor said to that church member of his, that was a high earning businessman. He said, I can't believe your wife tells me you do this every time you come home. Every time. He said, oh yes, every time. He, and the pastor began to cry. He said, I, I can't believe that you invest so much into letting your son know that he is loved and cherished. The man looked at him and began to cry to let him know he's loved and cherished. He said, he's let me know I'm loved and cherished. And he said this, he said, Pastor, if I never draw another paycheck, if I never have any other thing in my life, I will spend my life pouring myself into this child. And loved ones, I want to tell you, that's fellowship. That's the difference between paying somebody to wash the feet and washing the feet. I tell you, when my mom died, we were in the hospital, me and my two brothers and, and someone else was there with mom. And uh, my mom was just, the nurse said she's just minutes from going. And my mom was starting to be a little agitated. And my brothers and I, we had all done this. We were all there with her. We, we released her to the Lord and told her how much we loved her. And she just became a little agitated as the time got closer and we would calm her down and it was back and forth. And somebody that was with us, it was not even a member of, of our family. I will remember this as long as I live. This person who was not relative, not, it wasn't their responsibility they walked to my mom and they took her foot in their hand and just held onto her foot. And you could see my mom just, just calm down. She didn't wash her foot, but I tell you what she did. She said, I'm willing to connect in a way that might not be easily grasped by others. And loved ones, here's number one. Jesus says, you need that kind of relationship with me. See, the, the sin you're trying to carry between services, between confessionals, you're not designed to walk with feet that have stepped in poop all week long. You need your feet washed. And in the days ahead, God is calling his church to holiness and an understanding of it like we haven't seen before. And I'll tell you something else that we're going to come out of this with. When all this is said and done, when the election's settled, when COVID is a thing that is no more, shouldn't be more than three or four more years. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm afraid we're going to look back on some of our 
actions and attitudes. And we're going to see how poorly we loved. Now I'm talking about the church world in general, not, not you. If, you, if you. if you're part of this congregation, you're the world's greatest congregation. I, not you, but there's some. And I think what the Lord is teaching us is to take the dirty feet of one another and just begin to wash. Just begin to wash. Begin to serve. I preach way too long, but I need to tell you how you can come to Jesus. And so to create the illusion of me preaching shorter, I'm going to ask Justin to come and take 60 seconds to tell you how you can call or get prayer and dismiss us. Guys, I love you so much. God is teaching us to wash feet because he washes ours.